Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Ages ago, in the midst of history, we had the great Robert Falster on the podcast. Do you remember that, everybody? Yeah. Uh, from The Go-Between. The Go-Between, yeah, yeah. And he'd written a really good rock book. rock and roll rules. He'd written a really good book called The Ten Rules of Rock and yeah. Roll, which is very good. Things like, um, you know, you never get any new information as a rock and roll show after the third number. Yeah. That kind of thing. If a guitarist plays more than one guitar, he's just showing off his guitar collection and all that stuff. And I thought of an 11th rule of rock and roll. I thought of it this afternoon while being at Alex's uh, 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 sound check with Piney Gear down at uh, the Islington immediately before this. And this is the 11th rule of rock and roll. And it goes like this. Sound checks always expand to fill the time available for them. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a form of showing off, isn't it? (laughs) Showing off to the barmaid and the the promoter. And trying out the new song that the rest of the band don't like. And it's just see, trying to if, if a band has five minutes to sound check, they sound check in five minutes. Yeah. If a band has five hours, they sound check in five and a half, don't they? Is that true, Alex? And You're the majority of support bands sound check during their first number because they haven't been allowed to sound Yes, that's, that's very true. By the stranglers, whoever it is. Well, sound checks actually are quite unique in that they, they defy the laws of um, modern conventional chronology. They exist in a time spectrum all of their own. Uh, so if you, if you need half an hour, you will you'll probably take an hour and a half um, by some dint of... How long does your ukulele orchestra take to sound check, then? Uh, well, Eight instruments, nine instruments? Actually, no, it's very rigid in the, in the orchestra because the guy who runs it, he's, he's a very rigid guy and he tells us off if we, don't, if we, if we go over. Um, we do two numbers and that's it. The same numbers every night. Bang, bang, done. Off. Which of the two numbers you do? We do uh, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Oh, lovely. And we'll do the opening instrumental as well. So this year it was... Um, what was it? It was Hall of the Mountain King. Oh, by um, Greek. Yeah, yeah. Classic tune. That's a monster tune. So just to bring everybody up, bring everybody up today, Alex. You joined a ukulele orchestra about what eighteen months ago. They they rang you up, said, "Do you play the ukulele? Don't you?" And you lied. You said yes. Essentially, yeah. I was on my way to play a punk festival in Blackpool, and I got a call from a foreign number, and I thought I'd answer it because it wasn't withheld. You know, it might be interesting. So I picked up the phone. And there was this crazy German guy on the other end of the line. That, Hello, is this Alexander Gold? And I went, 
yes, this is she. And he went, uh, I hear you're a great ukulele player. And I, and, and I bought one about ten years ago when I was a student in High Wycombe, I think drunk at one o'clock in the afternoon, a little pink toy one, which I haven't touched for ten years. Um, I went, yeah, of course I am. What do you want to do? Picked it up and went, ring, tinky, tinky, He said, we wanted to join our orchestra for a two-month tour. So, you know, so I joined the orchestra completely by accident. And I had a month to to buy one, a proper one, uh, to learn how to play it, and also to teach myself how to read music. Um, so... so this was no, a no big, honestly, no it's a proper band, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, but to be fair, to give everybody a bit of background, you've kind of played in punk rock groups, and, yeah. you know, and various kind of rough assemblies of musicians. I only thought there were three chords in existence. But this, how wrong I was. was! This was a proper musical endeavour, wasn't it? Yeah. How many people? There's, there's eight people, seven ukes and the uke bass, which is basically uh, it's 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 an umpa lumpa version of a bass. It's strung the same. It's just tiny, and a kazukulele. Anna Kazukalele, yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pockets, who's one of the guys in the orchestra, he invented this instrument, which is a cross between, if you can imagine, uh, a ukulele, uh, a keyboard, and a kazoo. Um, it's, it's astonishing the way he's done it, uh, but he incorporates all three of them in the same instrument. And you're playing, but you're playing big venues, aren't you? Are they 1,500 seaters or was yeah. it 2,000 seaters or something? Uh, well, well, no, it, I'd say it averages out about 500 people a night. Oh, 500. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's a lot more. Well, that's but, a lot. Um, but it's, it's really funny because, I mean, my first two gigs this year were in little rock pubs in Amsterdam and Rotterdam playing to about 50 people. And then two weeks later, I was playing the Philharmonic in Berlin, you know, with the Uke Orchestras. Sold out. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And, Except and you I, haven't. <laughs> yeah. I might kind of in a hotel room. It was fascinating to me to kind of keep track of the, of the fact that this was all having on Alex because, you know, he and I kind of put together the word in your ear gigs and so we're in regular touch. And so he's, there's Fraser Strange Creature. Digital Rabbit's being just. Digital Rabbit, there you go. Um, um, and so Alex is getting in touch every now and again via Skype from Hanover or Dresden or wherever. And, uh, and he's giving me progress reports on how it's going. And at one point he actually said to me, I can't believe it, lots of people come and they really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm not used to you this. You don't get that at every punk gig. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt that he was... Neither part of that equation. He was speaking on behalf of every kind of... Uh, every musician playing in a pub up and down Britain, you know what I mean, where, they, where the band outnumber the audience. This was music as it's supposed to be, isn't it? Oh, yeah. totally. It, it was it's had a profound effect on you, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just... The, it's, it's it's kind of the dream in a way because you know as you say you're you're, you're playing music that people want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Give us, give us a quick run for for, for, for people who are not au uh, fait with your oeuvre. Give us a couple of the songs you play. Well, you you sing brilliantly on a Coldplay number. Yeah, Viva I, I sing Vida. Vida Vida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sing that one. Uh, I, so you're, so you're the youth, aren't you? In, in the democracy. You are. You are because you're kind of cast, aren't you? There's the you're at the young end, aren't you? With well, the kind of long hair and stuff. Yeah, everybody's got kind of a, a character within the group. There's, I mean, it, it is it's as much a, uh, a comedy show as it is a as a musical production, which which, which which is a really interesting thing for me because I've never done that before again. Um, and everybody plays a particular role in the group. The yeah. age range is really varied, and the type of people is you know, really varied. And I'm I'm the youngster, in inverted commas. Um, so you know the, the kind of my sort of running gag is that I'm 13 years old and you know it gets a bit of a laugh in the audience. Oh, no, I've seen you do that. You I've do seen that. in this film of you do that. You sort of say this song was written 12 years ago, just before I was, I was born, yes. and the place goes mental. It goes nuts. <laughs> 
it's a broad humour. It's a very broad humour. <laughs> and it's great for about oh a week my, and a half. Aching sides. I know. After two and a half months, you just want to grow a beard again. Yeah, yeah. So to give an idea of the range of stuff, so there you go. You're on tour with the ukulele orchestra. You've been, you've been to Florida. You've been yeah. to all kinds of places. You've been to Alaska. Alaska. You were in touch with me. For, I said, where are you? And it was completely, you know, it was a lottery as to where he was. He said, I'm in Alaska. <laughs> I thought, you're joking. Well, but then Alaska. to give you a range of the kind of gigs that you did, Alex, that I yeah. kept track of, you did, you also once went on your own to Glasgow the yeah. morning after the independence referendum yep. in Scotland, where I don't think the good people of Scotland were particularly in the mood They to were not in the mood to celebrate. For an English musician. You turned up, you were there to play a gig on your own in a club, yes? Yep. You yeah. went by bus, and it was a silent coach, wasn't it, Alex? I got the Megabus, which I thought was a great idea because it was really cheap. Um, and I had a mate from Argentina staying over, and uh, you know, I got us both tickets, and so you made him go? Yeah. Oh, good God. Well, I thought it would be fine because I, I figured that, you know, this, this coach takes a long time, so they're going to need to stop. You're going to need some food. And because of that, we skipped breakfast and figured we'd get it somewhere on the way. Um, you had to wait uh, till Carlisle. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. no. We, ha- we, we had to wait till Glasgow. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That's so they didn't get to eat till Glasgow. What they do, right, what the Megabus does is it... It does stop, but it stops to change drivers. They sort of do a little high five. Then <laughs> the next one comes on. So I didn't eat anything for maybe. The bus took eleven hours in the end because oh there was, there was traffic. God. So, so then he played a gig, I, Alex. Now be honest, you're, you are quite candid about this. How many of the good people of Glasgow had turned out to listen to you? Um, wow, if 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 if, if, if we're talking percentages, uh, we'd, we'd be into the decimal places, I think. Uh, <laughs> Preceded by a few noughts. Preceded by a few yeah. noughts, a healthy amount, a healthy smattering of zeros. <laughs> but that's what dedication. And so Don't then you, you got, having done it, you got on the bus and you came all the way back down to London. Well, you? we say the, the promoter's mums. Uh, uh, <laughs> the glamour. This is double MA. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that. And then quite recently, you went on tour in the United States yep. with Duncan out of the boys. Yep. Yes. Yep. And you played how many cities? How many clubs? We played four shows in three cities. In front of how many people? Well, let me put this into perspective for you. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Duncan and, you know, I love playing in his band. But considering we've travelled 4,000 miles, right, there's a photo of a lawnmower taken on the tour. Two girls on the lawnmower that got 200% more likes and the total number of people <laughs> played in front of. <laughs> it's so week. cruel it's cold hard statistics, isn't it? Oh, that hurts. Oh, my Lord. She, oh, hang on. Oh, God's sake. Can I just say that just before you guys came in, Fraser had gone to, to let you in, actually, I was just sitting in this room on my own, and that rabbit started talking to me, and it said something weird like, could you pass me that thing in front of you? <laughs> yes, and goes, yes, that thing. And I actually really, it's like something like a candid camera. I'm looking around going, what? What's happening? I've not really recovered. Have I told you about my bullshit button? I think, I think you gave me that okay. to you, Fraser. So I got this bullshit button from Fraser in the office um, uh, back when, obviously, the magazine was still alive. And uh, I, I'm moving house at the moment. I've, you know, packed everything into boxes and bags. And I was... Packing everything into the, my new house in this quiet little suburban street in Forest Hill the other day. I can see what's going to happen. And all of a sudden... You're going to disturb this ancient piece of equipment it's going to lurch into life. <laughs> no, it's a mother walking her kid on, you know, to, to, to school and all of a sudden... 
that's bullshit. I can remember going on holiday with, with our kids when they must have been about, I don't know, 11 and 13 or something. They're obsessed with Austin Powers. You remember Austin Powers? Oh, yeah. little Austin Powers dolls. We were staying in these little American motels and you'd get up to go to the loo in the middle of the night and it always tread. On, uh, on Dr. Evil. <laughs> and he would go, one billion dollars. <laughs> and, and if you tried on Austin, he would go, very shagadelic, baby. And I still remember it really well. But a horrible kind of tinny little battery slapping running down. Yeah. It was fantastic. Where were we? Actually, you must just tell us about the set. We got, I want a bit more of the set. We've got a Coldplay number. Yeah. We've got, All right, what go else on. do you do? Just, um, just some ideas. Because they're just old covers, aren't it's they? It's a really varied spectrum, actually. We, we do everything from, yeah, Coldplay, you do Beatles, Tchaikovsky, don't you? Do. Matt Tchaikovsky, Mozart, Bizet, uh, Queen, uh, some, some Disney classics. You do Deutschland um, Uber, Uber Alice. No, that's the other lot. There's a rival band. We Easy can't really done. talk about that, but our learned friends would have to sort of get involved. But uh, there's, yeah, there's everything from from classical pieces to you know to, to rock songs to. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, it's it's great as a musician, you know, one that's used to playing in Indian punk bands because you, you know, you you, you have to dabble in music. You wouldn't even think of touching otherwise, you know, because yeah. you think it's just it's just impossible to play. But you you've got to find a way to play it. And so you've got to come out of your comfort zone. Yeah, totally. Which is it's kind of oh, irony, isn't it? Well. That's we not do, what punk is supposed to be. They got me moonwalking, and once you've moonwalked in front of a thousand well, people, you have no fear, fear, moonwalk, fear of everything. Moonwalk on, on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, did you put on a single white glove? Or I did, I bought one actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just being facetious, but of course yeah. you did. I bought, so, I bought a toy gorilla as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's a good guy. So just to, ra- just, just, to round, yeah. just to round this off, I, I want Alex to tell the story of he got the phone call the other day when he was in the middle of a house move, oh, yeah. weren't you, didn't you, uh, to call you to, to provide emergency musical services. Go on. Yeah, so I was... Uh, Friday uh, was the was the big move day, so we we're going to move all the significant stuff and get it into a van, which we booked, and shift it over to the new house. Uh, I got my day planned out. I got my work schedule set out, and I've got I got my moving schedule set out. And at ten o'clock in the morning, I got a call from Andy, who I playing the Ukes with, and uh, he plays in a in a Rolling Stones tribute band. Um, what are they called? The Stones. Um, <laughs> the Stones. Yeah, which just works, doesn't it? It just works. <laughs> How does that? Right? I, don't know, I suppose they are. Aren't they? The well, Stones. Yeah. yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Well, it's when you go past my local pub and there's always a yellow fluorescent sign in the window saying "Tonight Elvis Presley," and I'm pretty damn sure that's not him. <laughs> no, that's true. But it's usually Fleetwood back, or is it? No, they, go, they just they don't bother me. Fred Zeppelin. No, way, Fred Zeppelin. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. So go on. <laughs> anyway, you got a call. I got a call at ten o'clock in the morning, just as I was starting to load stuff into the van. And Andy, Andy's exact words to me were, "Mate, Mick Taylor's got the shit. Can you do the gig?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to learn thirty-two Rolling Stones songs in two hours, move house, and travel up to Corby in Northamptonshire <laughs> to play the gig. To play the right, gig. To be fair, some of them are quite easy. Where well, I played, so how to, do you, how to do you you're, you're playing the Mick Taylor. You don't mean the lead part. You're playing. You must be playing the. the, the uh, I mainly stuck to rhythm. Yeah, yeah. I, and Keith. He got key key key. He, he can't handle the lead stuff. But in in, in that in that venue on a Friday night in, in Swinging Corby, I played to more people than in an entire week in America. <laughs> Did you? Yes. <laughs> so what do you open with? What did the Stones tribute group oh, open God. with? Jumper Jack Flash? Or? No, no. We started with some oldies. It wasn't around and around. It might have been. Uh, it might have been. I want to be your man. Actually, 
Oh, bro, go. Oh, that's good. Oh, it's chronological. Oh, started good. with the first single. It was pretty much chronological, yeah. Oh, yeah. good grief. So it started what the hell did he do when he got to the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that was like. No, we, we cut it off mid-70s. You see, I no, think my theory is, I think, I think Alex makes a good Mick Taylor. Yeah, very think? good Mick Taylor. That's brilliant. And thin, and you know, you've got do the you hair. Have, so did you, I mean, like, like the bootleg Beatles, uh, who I've yeah. seen a few times, because John Lennon of the bootleg Beatles used to live my neighbour, used to live in my street, and we used to go and see him all the time. And they not only play the part of the bootleg Beatles, of the Beatles, rather, but they also are the Beatles on stage when they talk they do all that sort of stuff you know? yeah. does your Mick Jagger go well alright and all that or not actually it's hilarious because they're all, they're all from up north uh, two of the lads are from Middlesbrough um, uh, Andy's from Nottingham um, and uh, the singer Jagger is from um, he's a Mancunian and you know you get there it's, it's alright you know you know what I mean alright if they're alright right, <laughs> but when he's on stage and he gets on stage bang all of a sudden oh yeah yeah <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. So, Alex, you're, you're, you're exposure to this range of music in the last couple of years. Is it, is it, have you enjoyed it? It's been good for you? Yeah, absolutely. It's been really good fun. Uh, it keeps things fresh and it keeps you moving. It's really easy to get stale. You know, it's something you start doing because you really enjoy it. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, you start it purely for love. And, and it's easy to get into a kind of routine where you stick to the same stuff. And so it becomes boring you know yeah. so what's your ambition what's boring. your ambition do you want to join a Beatles cover band or do you want to play opera or whatever he must now think the world's my oyster yeah I don't know really I mean I, I, I guess my ambition is just to keep playing because that's what I enjoy and you know the the, the, the greatest thing the uh, uh, the last couple of years has taught me I guess is that you know the best thing is to keep a completely open mind and, and don't say no to anything yep, yep. because you can you can do it if you lock yourself in a room for long enough um, and Playing music's ne- playing new music's never not fun, so you know I've, I've got no real. Especially there's actually an audience to watch. <laughs> Especially there's an actual real audience full of people. You know, it's ladies great. and gentlemen, <laughs> Alex Gar, oh, superb. Thank you. He's going off now to to play a gig at the uh, at the Islington with Piney Gear. You tipped. You might catch him if you race down there. <laughs> the word. A way of life. So the next a word in your era is. Uh, did you see what I called it, Mark? We're now calling them word in your era when we're doing when oh, we're doing well, decos. Good. good, isn't it? Oh, word in your I era. See, see what I did oh, there? Yeah. Word in your era. Oh, look at that! It's <laughs> all about the seventies, and that's on May the eleventh. Uh, at the Islington with uh, Mick Watts the great Mick Watts yes, Melody, Melody, Melody Maker and so forth and, uh, and Johnny Walker legendary fun. DJ and so forth so details well, that you I was gonna, I was gonna, I, and we I did one the other night I was going to plug one the other night I was gonna, anyone who didn't know what it was I'm going I'm to present this as a quiz alright okay. I'm going to read a little paragraph from uh, the uh, drummer of this group's um, uh, autobiography and he lists, and I find this kind of stuff absolutely fascinating, he lists 47 songs, I won't read all of them, 47 songs that they had in their set list when the group played on April the 7th in 1974, and uh, if I told you where it was, it'd probably give away who the group was, but here's some of the songs they played, all right, Fraser? Blue Suede Shoes. Hey there, Fraser. Uh, yeah. Blue Moon, Wooden Heart, O'Carroll, Save the Last Dance for Me. Stop, it's Shawaduadi. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yes, all I have to do is dream. Devil in her heart, Leaving on a Jet Plane. <laughs> Proud Mary It's fascinating Eight Days a Week This Boy By the Beatles Very very difficult song to play It's a waltz With a three part harmony Jailhouse Rock Hippie Hippie Shake Long Tall Sally Johnny Be Good I Saw Her Standing There Twist and Shout Little Queenie Etc And the answer is It's only the jam It's the jam Isn't that amazing And, <laughs> and that was in uh, Let me look it up now That was in 1974 And they were playing The Woking Working Men's Club In Walton Road 
and the group I think was Rick on drums I think it would have probably been uh, Bruce playing the bass Steve Steve on guitar and Paul Weller the lead guitar and it's just I don't think it's fascinating I think it's fascinating because it was they, they weren't a punk rock group at all well, they were a jamming band, you know what I mean? They were, they were, a, covers co- they were a local covers band covers who just enjoyed playing and, and were a bit directionless until the Clash and the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. That's precisely it. That's what they talked about. Yeah, that, that's what really Rick talked me. about. Uh, I thought <laughs> and they thought, oh, God, now that's an image and that's something we can kind of get behind, we can identify with. They're round about our age and so forth. And so, and so the punk stuff was just completely invented at the end. Completely package the thing. I, I, I think that's kind of true of a lot of those groups because I, I suppose it really hit me how how extraordinary it would have been to see the Sex Pistols, particularly who didn't really have any kind of um, precedence. No, no, they? no, they pretty much made that up themselves. And uh, there's the rabbit again, told just in the background. But but when the jam saw them up to that point, the jam had been you know they they were just wearing baggies. <laughs> they had skipper ties. There's pictures in in Rick's yeah, book, yeah. Um, which is very good actually. It's called That's Entertainment, uh, of course. My life in the jam by Rick Buckland. And uh, they had skipper ties. They had baggy trousers with little creases in them. Paul Weller, they all have longish hair and big sideburns. And Paul Weller looks like um, you know who Steve Marriott really doesn't he? And it really struck me that that really gave them a sense of direction, didn't it? Because let's just do that. Let's speed up. Yep, let's yep. write our own songs. And we maybe write some political songs because clearly the Sex Pistols have got some kind of political dimension to them. And that gives us some kind of sense of purpose. They go out and buy their black and white, uh, their bowling shoes, American bowling shoes and their little skinny ties and, and they become the jam. And the other thing that really fascinates me and which I thought Rick was really good on it, it, and very people are, very few people are that honest about that era the punk rock generation, is that they talk, he talked about other groups that he grew up listening to. Because the whole thing about punk rock, which we've had this conversation a million times, yeah. is that when punk rock happened, groups did not talk about the fact that they love Rory Gallagher. Yeah. They didn't talk about Argent, <laughs> did they? They didn't talk about Wishbone Ash. No, no, no. They didn't. They talked about Iggy Pop because their managers allowed them to. They talked about Lou Reed and they occasionally talked about Van Morrison or, or Bowie. And that was it. Yep. That was all maybe the Stooges or the, I don't know, MC5. But you were not allowed <laughs> to talk about it. So it's lovely to hear that Rick Buckler, you know, this lovely bit where he says the little drum pattern at the beginning of Tube Station at Midnight is from, lifted from um, Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. <laughs> I love that. And he, he talks about buying records by Atomic Rooster and uh, who were the other groups he liked? Uh, Iron Butterfly. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Zeppelin, you know. And I love all that. You know, the idea that... And I, I remember interviewing Adam Ant at the end of uh, The Word, and he was talking about how he loved Rory Gallagher and, and Argent, those big things, you know. And it's just something very refreshing about that. Because, of course, they did, Fraser, didn't they? Because yes, they, they did. all had to listen to records. John Lydon, uh, his absolute favourite group was Van de Graaff Generator, but he was under, really, some kind of restraining order in interviews to never mention any of that stuff. Yeah, because yeah, it would yeah. just derail everything they are going to do. But the whole, the whole movement of punk, it made you realise how powerful movements are. Completely. In lifting, they lift all, all boats. Completely. Then, as the expression goes. You know, it's like Mersey Beat or whatever. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you get a following wave, you can attach yourself you to it. You can attach it, it's going to kill a lot become, of other people. You suddenly become quite important. Absolutely. Completely. Out of all proportion to your, to your value. And it also made me think that that was a... People think of the 70s as being such a vibrant time, and a lot of it really was, but there was a particular 
a, a particular desert where people just didn't know what to do. And actually, the jam set list, if you look at it, is 75% pretty much what the, what, what the Beatles set list was. Yes. It's Chuck Berry, and it's things like, um, you know, it's old, uh, it's old ballads, basically, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. standard. Yeah. And that they loved the Beatles, and so they were kind of doing what the Beatles were doing. But the other thing I was going to say about that podcast, which I do recommend people listen to, because I thought it was really honest, actually. Because those podcasts are all available on the same yes. stream as this podcast. Yeah, but the, I thought it was very, it's very touching uh, uh, to hear what he had to say about his relationship with Paul Weller. You know, and I mean, he hadn't spoken to Paul Weller. He hasn't spoken or, or seen him, actually, since 1980. Was it 83? 83. So yeah, that's I, I've, I've seen him more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 32. Yeah, top 20. Which is <laughs> Years ago. <laughs> and, you know, and about the, just the ruthless way that Weller had just, which is often the case with people who are very ambitious and successful, actually. They just, you know, take people on board and then just discard them. Yeah. yeah. Move on to the next project. And that can relate to their private lives just as much as their professional life. And I thought it was really sweet that he was thinking, well, I, you know, we, in a way it'd be terrible to, to get back together again and ruin the great, um, you know, legacy that we have. And we kind of said at the end, didn't we, but I tell you, if you rang tomorrow, what do you think? He said, well, you'd, you'd have to, wouldn't you? And of course he would, because they'd go back. What level would the jam go back at? They'd go back at, at an indefinite number of O2s, wouldn't they? 20,000 well, a night. Whereas when they split up, they played a night at, I think it would have been Wembley they did, they did, Arena. They did five Wembley, Wembley Arena. Five Wembley And they thought that was excessive. Yeah, yeah. Really good luck. So you come back ten times bigger than you left. Talking about gig inflation, in my, in my researches for 1971, where Chris Drazier, the uh, former bass player of the Yardbirds. The others, yeah. Um, you know, so he kind of knew Jimmy Page and so forth. And he was in New York. the bass player. Samuel Smith was a bit of a go on, anyway. Okay, yeah. rhythm, possibly. Yeah. I'm not sure. And... Uh, he was in New York in 1971, and he got a call from uh, Jimmy Page saying, yeah, why don't you come and see us? We're playing. We're playing Madison Square Garden. And Richard thought he'd got the name of the venue wrong because he thought, bands don't play places that big. You can't have it right. It must be somewhere else. <laughs> and that's 1971. And Madison Square Garden is now, is now kind of footling. You know, what is it, that 17, 18,000 or something? Yeah, it's like tiny. It's probably not it's even that cool. big. I don't even know, actually. <laughs> you know, but at the time, you know, bands didn't play venues. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's just, been, it's just been inflation of numbers all the way along the line. So at the point when the jam broke up, playing five uh, Wembley arenas was considered unbelievable. Well, nowadays you get middling bands of probably five Wembley arenas. Yeah, and anybody coming back, just as the police found out, you just go on as long as you want. Yeah, yeah, Carry yeah. on, go around the world. So, so, so that's... It's good, uh, I thought it was good. I that's Reed Bogler, and he was very good. And thanks very much to him for coming. It was, uh, it was absolutely terrific. And, uh, and we also spoke to Johnny Rogan about his, uh, his excellent book terrific about, about book Ray about Davis, which will also be, complicated be with you, with you uh, is the that podcast. Yeah, not, is it? Very same. We're, yeah, yeah. we're doing as fast as, as fast as Fraser can work. A little, In the podcast factory. It's a little podcast <laughs> yeah, factory. Yeah. We, we get him out there. So we, we just thought it would be a good idea for us to get back to gather and then catch up. I've almost forgotten what you look like. <laughs> well, well, do you recognise him? No, because viewers, you probably don't know this, but David has grown a beard. And I think it's spectacular. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> I am sick, nauseous with envy. <laughs> if, you gave me, if you gave me a year and a half, I couldn't grow a beard. Like well, listen, he looks like a man of the sea. <laughs> he does, salty dog. Yeah. He does, actually. Yeah. I thought I looked rather Shakespearean. I, th- I, th- I tell people I'm doing it for a film. Oh, that's good. Say so it's a movie. Uh, opening at the Donmar Warehouse, <laughs> if faith. Because the truth is, we're having. I, I, I'm growing it because we're having our bathroom replaced, and we went away for a little while. At my wife's half term, and I thought, well, I won't shave for a week. I'll get away with it, you know, while they take the sink out. Well, that was seven weeks ago. 
and we're still without a bathroom, you know, and the beard is still growing. You know, so I'll be like a member of ZZ Top by the time. That's right. By the time the you bathroom. substantial. It'll be long enough to, to tie a knot in your beard. <laughs> so, I, one of the things I wanted to catch up on was. Have we all seen, I know it's a few weeks ago now, and this, you might consider it old news, but I want to talk about it. Have we seen the Tidal yeah, oh yes, launch? Yes, yeah. yes. The launch of the massive Jay-Z-fronted, um, you know, uh, music streaming initiative, artist-owned. Did we all watch that press conference? Yes. It's 18 minutes on YouTube, is where it's I saw it, and it's 18 minutes long. I find it absolutely riveting. And so I, let's I recommend. Go, yeah, for those who didn't see it, explain. let's go through the names of the artists that were that one by one were brought on the stage. I think they started with Alicia Keys. Alicia they? Keys is the kind of uh, spokesperson, isn't <laughs> yes. she? And, and then, then I, God, who did they have? Jay Z. Well, they had Beyonce, Beyonce Kanye Rihanna, Madonna, Kanye West. They had Jack White. Uh, two members of the Arcade Fire. Of course, nobody knows the names of <laughs> the Arcade Fire. Wim Butler and... Yeah. yeah. And there was, then there was a screen, which, uh, of course, had uh, almost inevitably Chris, Chris Martin, Martin of Coldplay, who could and, be there. Uh, yeah. They had uh, Daft Punk. Um, they had uh, somebody else from Britain, I think. Dead Mouse. Dead, Mouse. Dead Mouse. Okay, Not yeah. these from Britain. But also that and was... And Madonna, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Rihanna. That's right. So they, they were li- they lined up on stage. <laughs> and, well, what do you think, Mark? What did you think when you saw it? I, I, I was, I mean, I, I thought lots of things actually, and I was I gripped and I was sort of mortified, and I felt, I felt really sad actually in watching. I don't know if you did. Did you <laughs> not feel a, that? Not at okay, you're into that. But I tell you, one of the things that really got me was that was that uh, uh, this whole thing uh, is about the concept of loving music. You know, it, it, in fact, I think they describe it as um, as an artist-owned music and entertainment platform so, it's so they're setting up their own um, distribution base it's supposed to be like and United Artists yeah yeah, yeah. and that's fine. okay I understand that but the whole thing was Alyssa Key's pitch a keynote speech is about how much we love music did you hear David in those 18 minutes one single note of music play or did you hear a complete silence <laughs> so that was the first thing so when they brought them on I would have done it like an awards show. Ladies and gentlemen, Madonna. And you'd have one And then it's, and then it's Rihanna. And, and the applause is really lukewarm. And the applause is really lukewarm. It sounds and like there's 25 people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they all have to stand next to each other looking and feeling awkward. And the other thing, which I used to find so embarrassing when I was a kid, if my parents were ever in the room and I was watching television, when people who were a bit gimmicky on stage came on in their gimmicky costumes and so you have the combination of Daft Punk dressed as kind of robots <laughs> and then um, Dead Mouse who just comes on to be honest with a sort of mousey's head he looked like um, who's that guy who once came with was this Frank Sidebottom he looked like Frank Sidebottom with his kind of fiberglass head <laughs> so you've got this absurd thing of a load of people standing there not quite sure why they're there feeling very awkward in complete silence and then they all while this guy is trying to talk about Alyssa Keith trying to talk about how exciting the concept how it of music changes is. lives and the honest truth is it's not music that's exciting it's control of music that's exciting, and it's it's, it's the in the art. They kept saying there's a, somebody at the end. Has a, I actually wrote this in a piece of paper. They said it give, the, the platform was going to give people quality and great things and great experiences. At no point, David, did anybody explain what that thing was oh, about. It, not a clue. Well, what is and also, you felt it was entirely self-interested. It wasn't for the benefit of the audience at all. It was entirely for the benefit of the people making the music. You, and stopping a load of people sapping their the, revenues. You can't turn to the public and say, the poor artists are being ripped off by the streaming services, so let's bring on, one after the other... The richest the twenty musicians who have ever lived, yeah. 
you know, and they are. Oh, by These somebody. people have made far more money than the Beatles ever made. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because the, the rewards for the tiny number at the top are unbelievable yeah. nowadays. And all you can and I'm sorry, most people, I don't care whether you like them or not, you're sitting there looking at Jay-Z, Jack White, Madonna, whatever. You're thinking the rewards you people have got are out of all proportion to your actual value. To what you've actually contributed. But it seems utterly You're not that remarkable. You're yeah. just really shrewd and really hardworking and terribly ambitious. Absolutely. And this is just another manifestation of that. And it seemed completely and utterly uh, transparently self-interested. At uh, no point did anybody once mention a load of groups that we've never heard of who just need an all-important no. leg up and give <laughs> some platform to some international about. It was really about making sure that, you know, God bless her, that Alicia Keys was not going to have any more of her royalties hemorrhaged away by some bastard sort of... But you see, one of the know. things that fascinated me as, a, you know, as an observer of, of pop stars when they're all together in any kind of semi-formal capacity, in my experience, they hate it. They don't like mixing. You know what I mean? They like to be clearly separated from the herd and their their status recognised. Once you put them together with loads of other people, they're levelled down and they don't like it at all. And so they look very miffed. And I think they very quickly, during that presentation, I think four four minutes into that presentation, possibly earlier, they had realised this is a terrible idea. There's a great bit where Madonna Uh, looks to the side and just horror on her face when she realises what's going on. Who put me here? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And all she's already that, mentally half sucking. An, half, an hour, half an hour after that presentation, they were all in 22 different, different limousines. Bitching. Right, <laughs> kicking the fuck out of whoever had put them in that position. I know. Getting on the phone to their agent or whoever. You did what? You didn't tell me she'd be there or whatever. They, they, and Chris Martin, it's just a shot of him on the, on the VT. And you can see it stealing across his face. Oh my god! Yeah, and I'm not even there, so I've got to sit here like I've been, you know, but like I'm a- being interviewed by Jeremy Paxman on Newsnight via, you know, down the line from wherever. It was so awkward. But there is that, that there is that sort of awkwardness which I can really understand, really, which is that you know, rock stars and in fact all celebrities just have a, have, a, have made a men- mental calculation of their own worth, and they, they think they think they are bigger than so and so and smaller than somebody else. The only rare time I had a, this, was that a real name droppy thing to say that I went once to a party at the at the uh, number ten Downing Street. It's a very terrible thing to say. No, no, but I did. And at, at the party was Noel Gallagher. I remember Mick uh, Hucknall, um, you know Felix Dennis, the publisher, Richard Branson, all sorts of people. And it was one of those occasions where everybody talked to everybody because nobody felt that they were bigger than anybody else. You could just tell they were all out of a very famous tennis player whose name was going to come to me in a minute. Rodetsky, was it Rodetsky? Greg Rodetsky. Greg right. And they were all there. But because they were in 10 Downing Street, yeah. the concept of 10 Downing Street was just somehow bigger than they yeah. were individually, and yeah. therefore they all felt they were on some I'm going to have to say level playing. Well, it's like it's And like that all... was not the case there, because when they brought on Madonna, so she introduced the one more, and she goes, Madonna, you think, well, that, that, that's the end of the queue, isn't it? Because she just... <laughs> it's not. No, 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 Madonna no. thinks it's the end of the queue. But Looks behind Rihanna. Yeah, on comes Rihanna. <laughs> Nicki yeah. Minaj, I think. That's Nicki, 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 Nicki Minaj. Nicki right. Minaj. I know, and then on comes the bass player of Eddie and the Hot Rods, and so she's really... <laughs> so, so everyone's really... Pissed off. How did that happen? No, well, how, how, did, how did they create that list? Who came up with that list? I don't know. Christ. And who put them in that order? Weeks of negotiation. Who put them in that order? I but they'll, they've all got free equity, won't they? I would imagine that would have been the deal. You get you know, 3%. All you have to do is turn up. And if it turns out to be really successful, 
your I mean, quiz who, in. Who, who and puts if it in the list yeah. of that, the order in which they come on stage? Oh, uh, I'd very good. I question. would have thought they'd be thrashed out by teams, phalanxes of lawyers. And you can say, Madonna, advisors. well, we either do it this way or we do it in age order. Is that all right, Madonna? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in height, in which case Rihanna would win, of course. <laughs> Rihanna, that's a foot taller than anybody else. So, well, anyway, well, well, um, fascinating. we're going to be watching the, the, the uh, progress of title with, uh, with great interest, aren't we? Yeah, I yeah. Don't, I don't think it's going to take the world by <laughs> storm. <laughs> we may it's, be wrong. It's just dropped out of the top 700 apps on Apple. <laughs> oh, Lord. Which doesn't doesn't look brilliant. And they've fired the CEO already. Oh yes, I saw that. Yeah. CEO's gone. You know, so that's the world of uh, that's the world of digital music. The Word Podcast: Two cocoa tins and a piece of string. ACDC. I'll be honest, are a complete mystery to me. You've always said that you'd never knowingly heard. Of I've ACDC. never knowingly heard an ACDC. Yeah. So I've got nothing against them. Bloke in short trousers come from Australia. Yeah. I can't. I can't get that enormously globe girdling popularity. Don't argue with that at all but strikes me there's queer goings on <laughs> in the parish of acdc well yes I mean, of late an over to our acdc expert more specifically they made the radio 4 news so that is quite a big deal oh, well, quite an yeah. day program. I, think, I think it's business as usual in most of acdc but it's uh, things are going uh, massively awry in the world of phil rudd their drummer so give, give us a, a bit of a background age of acdc well phil's 60 Oh, and they're not as old as I thought. No, they started young. I mean, Angus was a teenager when they started. Right. How old is Angus? He must be... Is he He's 60 in his years? 50s, I think. Yeah. God, really? Wow. But, uh, yeah, Phil is the drummer. He lives in Tauranga in New Zealand, which is a, a very nice part of the world, where he owns a fish restaurant. Oh, right. Okay. Um, last year he was... Uh, have visited said I fish restaurant? I haven't, no. I'm surprised <laughs> at this phrase, <laughs> you being a Kiwi and a foodie. I would have yeah. thought that had an ACDC fan. Got your name on it. He, uh, last year he was um, fined $70,000 for firing three staff because he'd placed an order, a delivery order, and they'd sent it to his aircraft hangar instead of his boat. <laughs> So this is the He's kind got of an aircraft. No, you hate it when that happens. So this is the kind of world that Phil <laughs> lives in. He's just basically never had to grow up. You know, he's got mechanical royalties coming in from the second biggest selling album of all time. Right. He's never had to grow up. So he's a sixty-year-old who's uh, fooling around with young women and doing drugs he shouldn't be doing, and it's finally caught up with him. Right. But he was accused of. I think I'm right in saying uh, what happens. He was unhappy. Uh, at the events of a launch party for an album. Was that a solo album? Yes, and he, he asked for a up. former employee to be taken out. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Now that's going a bit far. Well, then. first of all, before Isn't we it? get to this, I, the, the story I first of all read was that unhappy with the with the launch of his solo album, which I thought was funny enough on its own. You know what I mean? Because Paul McCartney put well, I'm trying to think of it. Keith Richard put out a solo album. Nobody would buy it. The notion that a drummer of ACDC would sell a solo album. It sounds like ACDC. You may not be surprised <laughs> to hear that. The, you know, so unhappy with the launch party, the launch party, for it, he, he fired a couple of his employees. And I was amazed he had employees. But obviously these are employees at the restaurant. I guess so, yeah. He also has... Uh, but like what has he security. taken out? It's sort of step... No, well, later on, he tried the, the story... Oh, yes. The allegation... Oh, yeah, it's that, it is an allegation, this that, that, yes, that, it is. That he's... Yes, he's asked for somebody to be rubbed out. Yes, although that, that charge has been dropped now. I think he's just been charged with threatening to kill rather uh, than procuring a killer. Oh, right. 
So watch this space. The, 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 the I believe the court date is in June. Right, right. And this is this is hot news at Classic Rock magazine. It is, is it hot present? news at Classic this Rock magazine. Uh, you must have an ACDT desk down there. I think we probably do, yes. <laughs> and then, well, it was hot news at whatever magazine I would have been at. I can't think now. It might have been Mojo or Select or something. When, when, the, uh, when the drummer of the... Of the House Martins, do you remember that Hugh Whittaker? Oh yeah, Hugh Whitt- six Hugh years for yes for assaulting not. a former business partner with an axe and then setting fire to his house not once, Fraser, or twice. He did it three times. Maybe he just didn't quite catch fire at first. Blowing on the evidence. So we should be laughing about it. Kevin got fire lighters. But he did three times on one evening or three different occasions. uh, Maybe three different occasions, I think it was. And the other one I remember when I was, in fact, the editor in chief of the Mighty Kerrang, very, very briefly, there was a group, uh, a Norwegian group called Burzum. Remember Burzum? (laughs) <coughs> a member of Burzum, or was he called Burzum himself? I can't remember. He was a, you know, He's he, called Varg Varkain. Var, that's the guy. He actually yeah. did murder. He did. Yeah. A, a rival black metal guitarist called Euronymous, and torched a series of rather beautiful, architecturally, um, wooden um, Norwegian houses. So. Um, He's probably still actually in Chokey. He's probably still wearing, no, wearing, wearing the in, crow's foot suit. I believe he lives in France now. <laughs> oh, is he? Yes. He's out. Yes. He's out of Chokey, is he? Has anybody ever written a book about crime in rock? God, they, what a good idea. Because who started it all? I, I think who started it all was Sunhouse. Oh, remember? God. I love Sunhouse. And Sunhouse I met Sunhouse. Amazing. What? I met Sunhouse. How long have I known you? Have you ever told me that? I think I have. Actually. Jesus Christ! You met Sunhouse. I met Sunhouse. Would he come have a supper or something? <laughs> no, for a dinner. Party. I met Sunhouse. It was the very early seventies, and he played at the Commonwealth Centre or something, somewhere like that, in the West End of London. Went with a friend. Good God! He was pretty much past. It. Did he play Death Letter? No, I'm sure. <laughs> he was, yes, he was. He was not at his sharpest. But no, he probably wasn't. No, hello to him. Amazing. No, Sunhouse. If I remember right, Sunhouse went to. He went to Parchman Farm. Oh yes. In 1927, how many songs had Parchman Farm? Oh yeah, lyric? loads of them. For um, oh. for shooting. And, and, and in fact, kill it, kill it. Or somebody. possibly even just being accused of it. Yeah, but but I think the, the point was, it was he only got two years because it, it, it was renegotiated actually that it was, um, or attested anyway, that it was self defence. Because what happened was, he was playing a gig in a juke joint. Guy came in, didn't like him, shot Sunhouse in the leg, and Sunhouse just pulled out a piece. And just polished him off and carried on with the set. I'm sorry, it's a, so, it's a book, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a book. No, you're right, it's a really it's a good book. Because the boring stuff is, oh, Keith Richards went to jail in Toronto or all that kind of drug stuff. It's terrible. Hugh Cornwall, that's very unfair. Yeah, all the phony but stuff. But people Johnny do. Cash. Johnny Cash. Lil Kim, didn't Lil Kim go to Johnny? And Lil Kim went to jail in jail. We're allowed to say that? We'll check that. Well, you have done. We have done. If this bit isn't in the podcast, it's because she didn't. I'm pretty sure she did, actually. But anyway, extraordinary. So, So, again, write that one down. Write that one down. Crime and Rock. The Word Podcast. It passes the time. So, we've just had Record Store Day, Fraser. Uh, you observed Record Store Day, I, I generally believe. do, yes. Uh, you don't, or, do you always? I know I always do. I hate Record Store Day, <laughs> but I still find myself at queuing on Essex Road at half past seven in the morning. <laughs> oh, so, so you, you wake up on Record Store really? Day in a really bad mood because it's Record oh, Store Day. I hate it so much. <laughs> but you, brilliant. But let, go on, what's the stages of the day? How does it slowly get you into it? But you're compelled its... to go along. I have to go along. It's, it's, it, it, the thing that annoys me more is, is Record Day, the, the Black Friday thing they do, which is the new version of Record Record store day, the second version they do every year. Now, Black Friday in a, in a normal retail environment means you buy a load of stuff in and you sell them cheap. In a record store, you buy limited quantities in and you sell them for more than you normally do. 
It's completely backwards. And the record state today is, is like that. It's all about money, 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 money. And uh, it annoys me because I want the things they're selling. What so did I'm, you buy? I'm, what did you I'm buy? obliged to turn up. I bought a John Grant live album and, Ooh, a, and a White Stripes record. Was that what was especially done for Record Store Day? Yes, it was. Record yeah. Shop Day, as I like to call yes, it, big exactly, English. Yeah. Record Store Day. How did that happen? God, John Grant live, that's brilliant. And the soundtrack to the Frank movie. Yeah. That's, sorry, let's just let the <laughs> rabbit speak. Bloody hell, Bruce. What's it doing? So it's on a... It's like a kind of spin cycle of a washing machine, you know, just when you think it's over, a new programme kicks in. So the John Grant live album, exclusively Record Store Day, surely it'll be out. It will do, time. yeah. They, they, what they generally do is they release a coloured vinyl version for Record Store Day, which... Right. Lovely. Think, oh, that's so desirable. And you is it very expensive? It. See, I don't like colour. A little vinyl. more expensive than normal. Yeah. I don't like colour. I like colour. Oh, I love it. Never got excited about colour. I it all seems wrong to me. Well, the only bad one was the Curved right. Air album. You remember that? Because they didn't get it right. It wasn't actually... It was actually some kind of Trust transfer me, printed on the top. And it, it coloured vinyl. Obviously, it's meant to you mix it into the vinyl so it's part of the actual mould. But the, I mean, without wishing to bore people, the, <laughs> the, the, color, the Curved Air album, Dave, when you put it on, it, little bits of, kind of dust came off and it eventually played it three times. It wore the picture away. I'm trying that to remember. That's not picture. right. It's just come to me. Just come to me. Do you remember the colour of... Do you remember the record that was puke-coloured? Yes, what was it called? Yes, go on. It's just come to me. Go on. I think it was called The World's Worst Record, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was right. a compilation done by Kenny Everett. Yes, yes, And it had the, you know, this pullover by Jess Conrad, which was, which was always the worst record ever made. Yes. And I think, I've got a copy at home, and I think it's on somebody's idea of vomit-coloured vinyl. Vomit-coloured vinyl. That's just come to me. God, what would that be worth? Probably very little. But anyway, you succumbed. And I how did, much yeah. did you spend? £165. Bloody Christ! It's years since I've been in a record shop and spent that amount of money. Do you know what my new policy on buying records is, Fraser? I'll only buy vinyl from the artist. I like it. It's a good thing, this. We we did a word in your ear not long ago with uh, Ashley Hutchins and, and Simon Yeah, Yeah, yeah formerly a Fabulous yeah. Convention. And uh, we were sitting in the pub afterwards with Ashley. He's a terribly nice chap. And he just had his his prize record came out in nineteen early eighties called By Gloucester Docks. I sat down on I sat down and wept. And he just somehow got the rights and put it out on on vinyl, and he had one copy. It was really satisfying when I was in the pub. And he said, he said, heavy, he said like I'll give it to you. I said, no, don't give it to me. I will pay you for yeah. it, because I knew it would be quite a bit. And so it was 20 quid or whatever. Yeah, it was. was it 20 quid? Yeah. But to give 20 quid to the artist... Yeah, that's nice. It's lovely. I feel quite good about yeah, it. That, that, that's Tidal. That's what Tidal would, would dream of, really. It's yes. the whole point of Tidal. It's like I get all the profits. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I, mean, you know, I, felt, I felt quite good about, about yeah. doing that, whereas paying that much in a shop, I feel bad about because I remember the days when you bought that stuff for you know, three quid or whatever, yeah. or you know, even seven quid when it was expensive. Yeah. And that's just gone mad. I feel soiled by this experience. <laughs> I, really do. I think it's hilarious. So while we're talking about records, I uh, I uh, I read a blog recently because my my son said to me, "What are you going to do with his records?" <laughs> And he said this with... But well, not in a kind of... Because if, if they need a home, I'll have them, Daddy. Yeah, I mean, that kind of way. My son's quite... You know, he's, he's quite rational, you know. And he's... He kind of understands why people get excited about records, but he's not particularly, you know. And like Lodi is 26, and, you know, like all of that generation, not, not in, interested in accumulating stuff. They want access to it. That's, that's fine, you know. The object itself doesn't terribly interest them. And so I've got an absolute tonne of vinyl at the top of the house... Ton of CD and other stuff, and uh, 
and he realises that when I, you know, when I hand him my lunch pail, <laughs> it's going to be his problem and his sister's, whatever. And uh, and so he felt that he, you know, he ought to broach the subject of what to do with it, you know. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know what to do with it really. Years ago, when we, when I first made a will, which must be thirty years ago, or whatever, I, I put a, a friend of mine as an executor thinking, you know, he, he'll know what to do with the records, you know, if I go under a bus or whatever. And, uh, but he moved, you know, so he wasn't, he wasn't available and so forth. And so I've never done, I haven't thought about it ever since, but since then the records are still there. And in 2015, they're kind of more of a problem than ever before, you know? But don't you think some of the best bargains you've ever got is when you've gone to record shops they've done a house sale? Because a lot of time, if some, somebody, um, you know, pops their clogs, it's just too... No one knows where to start, so they just call up a record shop and say, come in and give us a flat fee for it. Or often just give them away. And you'll go in there and find someone's entire record collection has just been, you know, turfed out. Actually, there aren't very many shops like that. There used to be just one run... Well, one yeah, called I the think the business has changed. The problem is everybody's got a lot of records nowadays thinks they're, they're worth a fortune, which they're probably not. No, they're probably in most not. Cases. The, the chap that we've, we've, frankly, sold a lot of records to in our time, um, uh, I, I, I was talking to him once, and he, he gets called in to do house clearances and so forth, and he's, he's actually been in the room when the, 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 the children of the deceased are arguing about the price, you know what I mean? He's offered this much money, and, and somebody goes, Take it. Oh, and, and somebody else goes, No, that's not enough. Oh, Dad, was, yeah. Dad always insisted the sirens is here. that his yes. sensor was, was worth mid, a fortune. Mid I don't know. What do you do, Fraser? Well, I made, well, I made a, a will. This is rather a ridiculous thing to be talking about. When I made a will, which was about 20 years ago, I, in order to um, just really to exercise me into actually doing it, because it seemed rather a gloomy thing to do, I thought I would go through my record collection, find individual records, and leave them to. To old people, I can remember, yeah, and, and some were things that people really, really wanted, signed by the artists, and some were things that I knew they absolutely loathed. And <laughs> if I know, I must, so change, I must change this. Well, so I know there's a friend of mine that if I, if I was to, uh, yeah, if I was to uh, turn up my toes tomorrow, that, um, that he'd get a, a knock on the door and someone would be there with a copy of Take That and Party by Take That and he'd know that Mark Ellen had shuffled off his, he would take his hat off immediately and look solemnly he's at his joined feet. the choir I, I know but I'll have to go through and update that really because uh, you know but anyway why, why wait until you die why not do it now what, what do you mean go back and re, re-change the records you mean or yeah well, and, and give them to the people you're going to give them to oh that's true maybe I could well exactly. I've got new avenues open because I might have lived them all anyway they never get them since I tweeted about this uh, which is always a good way to get feedback, you know. Uh, somebody got in touch with me, who I vaguely know, from the British Sound Archive, who said, we might be interested in them. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. That is it. Leaving them to the nation. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's brilliant. Now, you, could have a, you could have a spend like the Sainsbury's suite or something. <laughs> the, the take, yeah. the, you, know, you could have the Hepworth wing. <laughs> Be brilliant. But I'd feel... Listen, I'd feel really good about that. You if they ever would. had any, any interest in that. I know, I don't know. Because I said, how do you decide? That, you know, you can't possibly take every pile of junk that turns up, you know. And they said, well, it depends. If it's got a particular focus or a particular era or something like that, that might make us interested. And I don't know if mine will qualify or not. But uh, I was quite pleased. 
least I thought I could, that's I could better imagine doing much, that so than leaving better. it to the kids. Then leaving it to the people who are just going to go and put it up on eBay anyway. No. You know, exactly. <laughs> I assume they take the whole lot and then they go through and they go, no, no don't, want, don't want that one, don't want that well, one. Well, fine. But at least, at least somebody who's got some kind of sense of value in more than just a monetary value, you know what I mean? Yeah. Interest value or you know, academic value, or I don't know what. When you go through your record collection, do you ever have the thought, which I had the other day because I was going looking for a record, and I had this thought about, which well plagues me actually, and it's things about, it's, it, it, it's, there's two sides to this argument. One is records that you listened to when you were a teenager, and you can now really see were a total waste of time. And others are records that were out at the same time that you didn't listen to, and you've only just discovered now, and you wish you'd heard earlier. I know you can't change things because, I mean, <clears throat> you know, the fact that yeah, I listen to, I don't know, Atomic Rooster or Principal Edwards Magic Theatre or, or any of those terrible, or Steam Hammer or something, it doesn't really matter because they were just fun at the time. But my, I call it the Wishbone Ash, Judy Sill equation. So what are you saying? You I did listen to Wishbone Ash <laughs> and Dave, I can honestly say, and it hurts me to say it, but I've got to say it, I've got to be honest, you know, hand on heart, they just were hopeless. <laughs> And they were, for about 20 minutes, we all sat there going, Wish Panache are brilliant. And then you kind of thought, No, no, why did we, you know, months of our lives will never get back again. We sat in those rooms. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when I, I, I was, I followed Judy Sills a really good example. I followed Judy Sills vaguely and listened to her. I remember her on the old Grow Whistle Testing Crossmaker, and she was doing One of my sons, um, when he was came for Christmas, had discovered, sorry, the rabbit is butting in, had discovered, um, Judy Sill yeah. I played Judy Sill all over Christmas I had rather a warm feeling about seeing my sons back at home anyway but yeah, yeah. to hear the donor being played in the kitchen you know I just thought it was fantastic went back and pretty much listened to everything she'd done yeah, yeah. so it's one of those weird things isn't it You know, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it yeah. you can't turn the clock yeah, back yeah. but you, 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 time becomes more and more precious you think, did I really sit around listening to um, yeah Steve Hammer's first album <laughs> you know but don't you think it's quite interesting, you see, because Judy Silver, similar vintage and similar fate to Nick Drake. Yeah, very similar. And Nick Drake, you know, 1970-71, you were aware of Nick Drake. Oh, I liked Nick Drake at the time, actually. Oh, well, OK. I did like Did him, you yeah. own it? No, well, I listened to you know I heard Thomas told me on the Sampler album. OK, everybody heard that. And I had but a friend, you... I lived with a friend who had five leaves left. Oh, OK. Well, I never did. And so... I never had any peer pressure over Nick Drake, similar with Judy Sill. Whereas with those bands, you very often did. Yeah. Because yeah. you all went to see them. Yeah. You know, whoever they were, you know, whether it was Little Feet or Steam Hammer or whatever. Yeah. You know, so there was, there was a great bonding thing with your mates around them, wasn't you? Yeah. Wasn't there? Which probably made you overestimate them a bit. Completely. Not in Little Feet's And case. usually what happened is one real enthusiast would lead three or four kind yeah, of yeah, doubting yeah. Thomases along who'd stand there with their arms crossed go, come on, impress me, so-called Whereas, whereas people, people didn't get They're behind... quite good. They didn't get behind Nick Drake and Judy Sill in the same way. No, moment. and also, to be honest, you know, the information levels were so low that, you know, had Judy Sill, had I even been excited about her, I don't know if I'd even have found out if she was around or, or would I have got to London to see her in the tiny little venue she was playing in? I don't really know. Because she had a terrible... She had a terrible... Terribly bad luck, didn't she? Terrible. Jesus, she had a dreadful luck. She had a terrible accident, didn't she? And I was talking to somebody not long ago, and I never remember the name of the guy who worked in the record business for years, and he told me years ago, in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, he was in Warren Brothers' uh, tape archive in Los Angeles, looking something out. And the woman behind the counter um, was, had, a, had a very bad limp and was getting stuff out, and he realised, after a while, it was Judy Sill. And she ended up, you know, 
working in the archive. I know, for, it's so miserable. Yeah, gave the we career. We are so she much did bad luck and uh, misery. Terrible. Died a really young, yeah, 20, yeah, 20, probably awful. the classic 27, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shocking. But, I mean, you listen to those. Also, what a great musician. They're amazing. I do recommend it. Anybody who doesn't know her, Judy Spence, J-U-D-E-S-I-L-L. Yeah, yeah. And just go to, go to YouTube and listen to things like The Donor, or Jesus Was a Crossman. I must go and actually buy those records. Of course, it's too late to buy them from Judy Sill. But yeah, um, I must say, I don't own those records. I, I, I listen to them on Spotify, but uh, I ought to actually They're really ace. Well, I imagine but they're available on 180-gram colour vinyl. I'm sure they are now. £45 at your nearest record store day. I'll yes, be down there. Queue up with Fraser next year. I can't wait. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. So Mark and I are fresh from our recent triumph doing our one-man show at the Larn Festival uh, in Wales. That was fun, wasn't it, It's Mark? a one-man show done by two people. You see, Fraser? Get it? <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> we played, Fraser, we played the Congregational Church, and we were a bit worried that it wouldn't be full. It would pack. Right. It was. It was really good fun. And I, 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 they were upstairs, what, I, weren't they? I'll tell you what, I thought was one of the amusing things about it. the Congregational Church in Larne. This is in South Wales, the lovely uh, hometown. In fact, for a while of, of the great Dylan Thomas, where his writing shed and his, his boathouse are. And uh, there's, I love the idea of this kind of low-level village hall theatre, really, where you're not allowed to see the person coming on till they come on. Otherwise, it rather lets a little light in on the magic. And so David and myself were stuck behind the projection screen. And the only place you could actually sit was a little, tiny little triangle. You could probably people still see your knees and knew you were there. Yeah. <laughs> and there is just, please welcome. And then you walk out. Actually, the same thing happened to me the other day on even more ludicrous stale when I was doing a little thing in uh, Selby, promoting my... Um, a paperback. It was the first thing I've ever done on my own. And normally they say, and this is Selby Town Hall, and you know you've got the the, the, the little bar where you come in and you go from there into the main uh, auditorium, and then there's a little dressing room for the artists or the band or the drama, the players, what is it? So you have to go and sit in there from five to seven till half past seven when they uh, introduce you. And of course I'm there on my own, and it's just the weirdest feeling. I see this little tiny room. It's just you can imagine it. It's just you, the instant coffee maker. And one of those fridges which you don't dare open in case a, a fly comes out, you know what I mean? And there's this sort of frosted window, and you can see people walking by on their way to see you, and you don't want to hear what they're saying because you imagine they're saying, oh, Who is he anyway? <laughs> Why are we staying in and watching Some me? reluctant yeah. woman being dragged. Yeah. Who is he? Who is he? Oh, I never liked him. I thought we'd go for a curry. I always preferred David Hepworth. I like for David Hepworth. <laughs> David Kershaw, he's a good looking one. <laughs> He knows his stuff on rock. Who's this loser? Talking of... Uh, anyway, sort of go back to Lard, because it's very funny. centres and so forth. The great Al Murray, the comedian. I, I, follow I love him. Al Murray. You've got to oh. follow him on Twitter. He's I ter- do follow him. Oh, well, have, you, have you seen his kettle test? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he travels around it, and he he's plays gigs, you know. Yeah, and he'll play art centres, civic centres, those kind of things. It's huge places. He does a little selfies with well, the audience. Yeah, but yeah, there'll be a thousand people. You know, They're decent, they're good size. Um... But he takes a white plastic kettle with him, and he always he always tries to put it under the tap in the dressing room sink. And of course, the sink's never big enough to get it under. And he always takes a picture yeah. of him trying to yeah. jam it's the kettle test. <laughs> never playing here again. Yeah, Siren Sisters yes, yes. <laughs> fails the kettle I test. Know. You know, oh, it's, it, 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 it's terrific stuff. But um, so, so we're available for you know for further bookings, aren't we, Mark? We could. Yeah, uh, we do. Show, our show is, called, is terrific. It's called. Go on. It's, it's called uh, Complete History of Rock and Roll in sixty minutes. Sixty minutes and and um and, and we did it every time and we got and it broke out 
in applause right at the end. I didn't even have to milk it. And it was only later I realised the reason it had done it was it finished on exactly 60 minutes. And it proves my theory that it doesn't matter what the show is, what people are most looking forward to. Going home. This is entirely Dave's... And if you tell people... This is entirely Dave's engineering here, because I'm not really like that, you know, and I've looked at my watch and saw we've got two minutes minutes left or something, so I said, so, well, there it is, and thanks so much for coming. Have we got any questions? Because I love questions, because you don't know what people are going to ask you, and it's just wonderful. I don't love them at all. Oh, I absolutely love them. No, but they were... Dave goes, no time for questions, thank you, we're going to the pub. And that was it. And 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 actually, you're right, got a good reaction. You got a really good... Everybody wants everything to be over. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is, Bruce... Springsteen, I don't care. They want it to be over. Then they've got the choice of going away. That's, you see, the problem, problem with questions, and I know exactly what you mean, is half of the audience want to ask questions, the other half want so to go away. Up. No, you're absolutely right. Oh, They're fun for the person being asked the question. You don't know what you're going to be asked. It's exciting, you know. Yeah, well, well, you should just say, I'll answer your questions in the bar. Yeah, anybody you buy who me wants a drink. to stay, that's a good idea. Buy me a drink. Pay to play, isn't it? Then that's right. People, Cash people for questions. But it's a pint per per inquiry. But if you you know if you've got a local you know leisure centre or you know venue and you, that you, that we think we could pack out, get in touch. And a little tiny dressing room we can hover in we, awkwardly. We got the taste for it. We got the taste. I'm going to, I'm going to finish there. Just telling my Bill Wyman anecdote. Oh, go on. Because uh, I I did a thing with Bill Wyman the other week. Uh, for I was interviewing him for a little film to go with a DVD re-release of Salah Rockins. And I know that this particular bit won't survive the cut. So on the basis that you never throw anything away, you know what I mean, we, we use every part of the Why carcass. Why would you up for legal reasons? No, well, I could tell. Are you doing the interview with him about his solo albums? And... <laughs> uh, the rabbit's yeah. woken up. It's all about Bill Wyman. <laughs> now we've started. Bill Wyman solo. The rest of this podcast has been bollocks. Because <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is that as soon as you get anywhere near the Rolling Stones, he get he, the int- the answers get a lot more interesting. Of course, you know what I mean. And he's he's more interested in talking about them. You know what I mean. There's more to say. There's more drama. And there's a woman there from his management company sitting on the floor, you know, under the cam- camera with a pen and the paper. And I can see she's writing down everything. And he, any time he talks about Mick, starts writing oh, furiously. Sure. I know exactly what... CCs, you're squeezing rock stars. You can say what you want. They're gonna say, yeah. Afterwards, they're going to say to the people making the thing, well, you've got to lose that bit. You've got to lose that, you know. So it's always the interesting thing. Anyway, he told me the story of um, when Mick and Keith fell out really badly in the 80s. Yes. It said... 82 to 87. 82 87. So I finished the tour in 82, and they, they just wouldn't. They wouldn't get on. They wouldn't make up. They were both trying to have solo records. Live Aid came in the middle of it and all that. And so when we reformed for eight, in 80, 87, we'd had five years off the road. And he said, and that's a very serious business if you're me, Charlie, or Ron, because there's no other income. There is nothing at all, you know what I mean? And you didn't write the songs. So... They go on the tour. It's a huge tour in places they haven't played before. Massive revenue earner. Makes a fortune. You know, finishes, I don't know, 91 or something like that. And then they, they have a quick meeting. So we all had a, always had a meeting at the end of a tour where we could roughly talk about a time plan about what we might do next. You know, year off, six months in the studio, six months preparing the promotion, six months touring. You know what I mean? Don't do anything for 1993 whatever and at the end of the meeting Bill said well count me out because I'm leaving and they just sort of laughed and then carried on so anyway <laughs> so we'll meet him. said no I'm leaving 
<laughs> and um, you joking? <laughs> yeah. Don't be silly. You you who, uh, why would you? And leave actually, the somebody said to him, "You can't leave." And then sort of didn't go any further, you know. And and then when they reconvened, he got the call years later to come back. He said, "No, I left. I told you. I, to- I told, I told you, you I left. You. Yes." And they pretty much said, and this confirms all my theories about bands. But they even the bloody Rolling Stones do not communicate at all. And so he said, "We thought you were joking." And so he left for about five years <laughs> before the rest of the band but you see, realised see, he'd left. I can see both sides of that argument. Because from Mick and Keith's point of view, who would ever want to leave the Rolling Stones? What a fantastic position to be in. But from Bill Wyman's point of view, there's plenty of reasons. Re- re- reasons. He's got to make plans. You know, he's got to get on and do whatever he's yeah, doing, yeah. running his restaurant. Exactly. Whatever, you know, which are, Running these restaurants will have made him quite a lot of money. Absolutely, I would, I would imagine. You know, you can't just sit around and wait for the pleasure of Mick and Keith, who may never decide to get together again. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavor? dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 